Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm Jay Harrington. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm good, Jay. Good to be here. It's uh, spring in the Midwest. It's starting to sprung. If it, I am an English major. I just pointed that out to our guests. So yeah, I was I was uh, googling that whether that was the proper usage <laughs> uh, as we speak, but uh, I, I we'll go with it. All right, good. Yeah. Well, March got me to thinking. By the way, so um, March I think 13th marks the day that COVID became really real about a year ago. Ter- not that it wasn't real before, but that was when the schools sent around announcements and said, we're sending your kids home at least for two weeks, who knows how long. And a year later, they're still not back in full. And um, all of our workplaces then followed suit. And so we all got to enjoy remote work and all of the joys in, um, well, good art and bad that came with it. I think some discoveries have been made that maybe were unexpected, but I wanted to pose a question to you because you've been working remotely for how many years? Uh, about seven, well, probably eight now. Yeah. So, you know, our new feature overrated, underrated. So remote work, Jay, overrated or underrated? Uh, okay. Well, good. Well, I didn't, I knew you were going to underrated, overrated, but I, I was hoping you were going to ask me whether COVID was overrated or underrated. <laughs> I'm, not, started that. I'm not that crass. All right. Got it. All right. Well, um, remote work. Uh, I would say it is Gosh, it's interesting. I mean, a year ago, I would have said underrated for sure, um, because I think many people hadn't been exposed to it. And I think the business community had anticipated that it was just unworkable, right? It was something mm-hmm. that, you know, especially, you know, thinking about lawyers and working remotely, it's always been, you know, you need FaceTime, people have to be in the office, that kind of thing. Um, so I, I, I still, I guess I'll still say underrated in a sense, because um, I have found that the hardest year of working remote was my first one. It's a transition, right? You have to figure it out. It's almost like a skill you have to develop in terms of how do you strike a balance between work and, and home? How do you draw those boundaries? Like you have to, how do you get up from the desk and go outside and take advantage of your flexibility? All of these things I think are things you learn. You don't necessarily know from the start. And I know from speaking to a lot of clients or just people I know, you, you have a tendency to really blur that boundary between work and home when you're when you are home if you don't have the uh the time or the the you know the inclination to really focus on that so i think that the best aspects of remote work have probably um presented themselves over you know the second half of the time i've been doing it and so i think that you know hopefully other people will if they're continuing to work from home will experience those things as well yeah and you're right about the adjustment when because you and i joined forces in uh, July of 2019, right? So the first six months, I, I was struggling with the adjustment. I'm used to being at the office and the hustle and the bustle and the commute. And now all of that dynamic was different. But the one, and I will say, because it definitely, uh, there's nothing to be properly rated about COVID. But the one thing that it did do is it accelerated my adjustment. Now I had no choice. And now I was with the rest of the world. So everyone was doing this. So I was, I stopped feeling sorry for myself and said, committed to, well, this, I would be doing this regardless. So let's get used to it. And I made the necessary adjustments. So now I would say, not that you're asking me, but I would say it's still somewhat underrated because I think now people have managed to cope with it, but I, I don't know that everyone's embracing all of the potential positive impacts it can have on, on a work day. So anyways, 
that was it. I, th- I knew you'd have good perspective there, Jay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Good one, Tom. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. All right. Well, let's get to our, our topic at hand. And we have a guest today who we're excited to speak to. Callie Schweitzer is a senior news editor at LinkedIn, where she leads the editorial coverage of the marketing industry for the platform's 722 million plus global members. Prior to joining LinkedIn, Callie founded the Callie Company, an advisory firm that worked with Fortune 500 brands and top executives to increase reach, relevance, and revenue. She was the chief content officer at Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global, overseeing editorial and corporate content, advertising, sales, and the Thrive Global podcast. She has held senior leadership positions working across editorial, audience, marketing, and revenue at Time Inc. and Time, Vox Media, and Talking Points Memo. Callie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And uh, you have a you have impressive and, and diverse uh, background in the working world. So we'll dig into the, some of that today. Um, I'll start though, uh, what's your uh, impression on remote work? Have you, has this been something that you had to adapt to in the last 12 months or have you been doing it longer than that? It's been such an interesting experience because when I was running my own consultancy, I loved the idea that I could create my own schedule. So doing really hardcore work in the morning that required flow, as they say, uh, but then being able to go into the city. I mentioned I'm based in Brooklyn on off peak hours for the subway. That was wonderful. No longer being part of the sardine can that is the subway during rush hour. But that was much more flexible, right? One of the most interesting things about my remote work life now is that I've never met my boss. I've never met most of the people I work with. I joined LinkedIn in June. And so my experience has been entirely remote. And I'll tell you, there are some things that I love about it, as you both mentioned. And then there are times where I'm like, bring me to another human, please, you know? Right, and right. You think about the conversations that happen on Slack over 20 to 30 minutes, where if you were sitting next to someone and said, hey, could you just take a quick look at this? It would be two minutes. That I have found to be a challenge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that's uh, that's true. I think those are there is that magic that happens with just getting together with one, one colleagues and thinking through yeah. ideas and that kind of thing. Um, so. With that said, um, let's talk a little bit about your position at LinkedIn, which is um, senior news editor, uh, leading editorial coverage of the marketing industry. So um, what does that entail? Like, I, I think, you know, our audience is very engaged and interested in LinkedIn. And I think they'll be interested in a behind the scenes look as, at to, as the people who are sort of running the platform and what their job is and what their role is. Yeah. So LinkedIn News is a team of 75 journalists in 15 countries. And our job is to curate the news for LinkedIn's now 740 million members. So what does that look like? Obviously, there are professionals in so many different industries. And so we have people who are specifically assigned to specific specific segments. And in some cases, that's finance. In other cases, that's entrepreneurship and small business. For me, that means marketing. And it's been really exciting because I'm the first person in this role. And every role I've ever had, I've actually either created or been the first person in. And I love that kind of entrepreneurial spirit and being able to figure out like, 
where the boundaries or lack thereof really are. So I've loved that. And, and my huge focus has really been around what we call the three C's and a D. So creating content, cultivating different voices, curating content, and then distributing it. And so the best part of my job is that I get to talk to people like you and I get to talk to top CMOs and agency execs all day and say to them, what's interesting to you? What are you thinking about? What trends are you watching? And then my job is to create and curate and cultivate content specifically around those things. Nice. Interesting. Cool. Well, I, you know, thank you for being a guest on the Thought Leadership Project. So I, I wanted to maybe shift gears, um, Jay, unless you have an objection to talking about LinkedIn as a thought leadership platform. So I know you agreed to share all of LinkedIn's algorithmic secrets with our listeners today. <laughs> so I really appreciate that. If only um, I knew them. <laughs> does but anyone? I, yeah, there's an engineer who does somewhere. Um, yeah. We'll get him on the show. But no, so but I'm curious, I'd like to get your take on on something that we toy with and, and grapple with to a certain degree. And that is how we're presenting content and conversation on the platform. At times and historically, the mantra always was, well, provide a link to the your content on your own website because you want to get the user into your own environment. Um, but that takes people away from the conversation. And so now we're advocating a mix and maybe a healthier mix of having keeping the conversation on the platform itself. So a post, maybe it's even a lengthy post, but with no external links, not a video that you're trying to hack. But what are your thoughts on just how you approach creating content or creating posts or generating conversations on LinkedIn? So I love that. And I'm a huge advocate for the post. I have done posts that range from a soliloquy on why the rise of Clubhouse and TikTok should bring back the jingle that leads to 200 comments from people in different industries mm. in 24 hours. That was a pretty lengthy piece. And then followed by one that was one sentence that said, you know, when you think about when you hear the words inclusive advertising, what's the first brand that comes to mind? And similarly draws tons and tons of comments. And that really, Tom, to your point, is proof of people's hunger for conversation. And I think something I talk a lot about is the idea that LinkedIn is a platform for generosity. It's about we and not me. And I think that's something that people always feel uncomfortable about with all social media. Eh, I don't want to seem like I'm bragging. Oh, I hate that person who's always switching jobs and doing those things. They don't deserve all the things that they have, right? So when people say to me, what are the kinds of things I should post on LinkedIn? I'll say, have you read a great article recently? Have you, do you know someone doing something cool? Have you seen a great ad? Have you been thinking about something like the jingle, which has been a passion of mine for a year? Like I had no idea that that would drive such conversation. And it also tells me something, which is people are hungry for nostalgia. And so that's where then I take those clues and say, how can I think about that in the future? And so I absolutely agree with you that varying the different kinds of content that you do is great. And I think we should employ a test and learn strategy all the time. So I tested that one sentence 
it did really well. I tested a few paragraphs around TikTok and Clubhouse. It did really well. And in that case, it was about nostalgia. So thinking about different ways to engage the community and also being really active in comments. One of the things that I always say is that you can build thought leadership in the comments entirely. I think people really underestimate the value of starting a conversation in the comments. I mean, Jay, isn't that how we first met, right? You had yeah. commented on something? Well, you know, actually, I think it was, I mean, I'll tell this story briefly because I think it relates to what we're talking about, but um, you uh, you, you liked or commented on a post of mine, actually. I think maybe one, someone tagged you in the comments and you liked it. And and, you know, being the uh, sort of the marketer that I am, I'm like, oh, it'd be interesting to speak to someone from LinkedIn on my podcast. So I had that I had that thought, but I, we weren't connected. I had no way to reach you. And the post itself was about, you may remember this. I, I basically said, I like, I love LinkedIn because there's no blue check marks next to people's names. Um, and just the notion that you don't, you know, it's not just famous people who are followed. It's anyone can be, everyone's on equal footing on LinkedIn. So, so what I did was since I didn't have a way to get a hold of you, I, I tracked you down on Twitter and lo and behold, I saw you have a blue check mark next to your name on Twitter. So that was kind of embarrassing for me, but you took it. I, I mentioned that in my message to you and you, you laughed at it, obviously. I loved it. Yeah. I loved so, it. Uh, but that's how we, we did. We met in the comments to your point. And, um, and that was, yeah, that oftentimes is where um, conversations start. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And, yeah. and I think there's also so much power in what you talked about with no blue check mark, because think about what you guys were talking about earlier, the personal and the professional, how the two blend, right? I don't believe there's such a thing as balance. It's like we all strive for harmony, but boy, like no, right? Do you think there's a single person who's like, my life is in perfect personal and professional harmony? <laughs> Probably not. Yep. And so uh, what I would say is that one of the things I love about the platform is that, especially during the last year, people have become so much more open about the challenges that they're seeing in their personal lives. And that's something that I think the platform is uniquely equipped for. It's the idea that you could see somebody, I mean, Tom could comment on someone's post about the challenges of getting their kids to school. And then Jay, you could see it and not know that person and come in and leave a comment. And then to our earlier point, become friends with that person, right? Connect with that person and have a conversation offline just like this. And so I think that people are showing much more humanity and much more vulnerability on LinkedIn than we see on any other social platform. It's not just the highlight reel where you just think, how is this person running a marathon and watching this and going to a concert front row? And, you know, obviously all these things aren't happening anymore, but I just remember the, the feeling of like, FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out of sitting at home, watching Netflix and being like, all these people are being so productive. Am I lazy? Like, is this bad? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I do think that 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 mix of, um, you know, it, you know, there's there's a there's a place for ex sharing expertise and, you know, thought leadership, as we describe it. And and then there's also, yeah, definitely a place to share your voice as a, as a human being and discuss your interests and discuss things you're passionate about or be vulnerable about things you're struggling with. And, and I do think I mean, if you just have to watch on the platform and see that that's that type of content is is are things that people really resonate with and, and engage with. Um, Kelly, I'm interested in asking your opinion about 
um, you know, a few things. Cause I think a lot of our, a lot of our listeners, if I'm, if I'm putting myself in their shoes, um, they're probably, you know, on LinkedIn, um, many of them because they're interested in thought leadership are creating content on the platform. Um, many of them may be frustrated though. They're not quite gaining the traction they were hoping for. Um, I, I, I believe that, you know, you have to have a relative level of consistency in terms of creating content in order to get people to take notice on a consistent basis. And I think there's this flywheel effect. Like if you're showing up in people's feeds every day and, you know, other people are engaging with their content, they're going to be more apt to like be paying attention to you. Can you speak to this issue of consistency a bit and like how that plays into becoming a thought leader or just gaining connections, followers, et cetera, on the platform? Yeah. So for anyone who's currently listening, who's like, I don't post yet. And oh my gosh, I have to post every day. I would say that is not the case. And it's really all about baby steps. I mean, it's essentially what learn, what works for you. It can be once a week. It can be every other week as you get started and you get more comfortable with a new platform or a new way of sharing what it is that you're sharing. I think one of the reasons that I talk about this idea of generosity is because it's so important that everything you're sharing is not just about you, right? Like that's where I think people think you're not really leading on the thought leadership part. You're leading on the like bragging part and nobody wants to follow and engage with that. And so that's where I think if you think I have such a wide variety of things that I can post, posting once to twice a week, I think becomes much more palatable because you're realizing it doesn't all have to be about you. In fact, it shouldn't be. So what I would say is I think it's about building up to that. For some people, every day is just never going to be something they're comfortable with. And that's totally fine. I post probably two to three times a week, like, and I work at LinkedIn, right? And that's because I'm working on a bunch of different things, but I also spend a ton of time in the comments and seeing what other people are posting. And that's extremely valuable from a thought leadership perspective. That's building my following at the same time. Yeah. And I think people overlook that, you know, you've, you've mentioned several times, you know, engaging in the comments and it really is, critically important. I mean, I, I tell people, you know, if you want, if there's someone, you know, if you're looking sort of up to some industry, um, you know, this person in your industry who has a big following, you want to be connected with that person. And the best way to do it is not just to send them a cold invite, but rather continually show up in their feed um, and make thoughtful comments. And that sort of warms them up to the idea of, of uh, connecting with you, because I don't care how big your platform is, people pay attention to those who are engaging with the content. They're putting work and effort into that process. They want people to, you know, be paying attention and to, to engage in the conversation. So, so that, um, that work you do in the comments is as important, if not more so than what you're, what you're creating through your posts. So I I would definitely put an exclamation point on that. Um, Tom, you want to. Yeah. I wanted to maybe add another exclamation point. Um, the scenario that you described earlier of the, the maybe somebody who's been on the sidelines. And I, I think back to God, the early two thousands, when I was trying to convince business owners or business professionals that social media is coming and it's something you need to be a part of it. Like the resistance I got was always something like, why would anyone care what I had for breakfast type? So they were reducing all of social media down to like a Facebook post where someone snaps what, you know, their, the meal that they're eating. And it was almost so absurd. It's like, I can't even 
get involved in that conversation because it's so much like, where do I start with this person? But fast forward to now. So I, I think people are over that hump, but there still might be in a position where, and you touched on this is like, what do I write about? What do I share? And to your point about being sort of selfless, and I'm wondering if you have any planning tips for that person who said, okay, I get it. I give uncle, I'm going to commit to LinkedIn. I can maybe come up with two to three posts a week. Do you have any tips for how someone might plan out their weeks or their months so that they're not just opening up their keyboard on a Monday morning and saying, well, here's what I had for breakfast because I don't know what else to write, right? So any thoughts, planning tips? I always say, think of yourself as a curator. You are going through every single day of your life listening to some piece of conversation or listening to a piece of content or seeing something, right? Whether it's a movie or uh, hearing a song, think about what it is that you take for granted. I always say that I hate when people say, pick your brain. And the reason why is because it devalues your expertise in the conversation. It makes it sound like only one person is benefiting from that conversation. That's not true. Every single conversation you have, you walk away from, I'm not going to say it's changed your life, but there's a chance that it's put a new idea in your head or a new way of thinking about something. And so I would say oftentimes we take for granted, what we see as so obvious is actually something that's unique. Uh, there are also things that people just want to talk about. I would say like somebody could consider doing an open-ended question once a week. So Monday morning question, right? Start something that you really hold yourself accountable to. And the other thing I would say is um, I speak to a lot of college students and they'll say, should I, should I have a blog? Do I need to have a Twitter feed? Do I need to have all of these things, right? And I always say it's about posting to the platform that is organic for you. I, of course, want you to be on LinkedIn. I want you to be there all the time. <laughs> but I also understand that like, there are some platforms where it's just going to feel more natural for you. And if there is a feeling of a forcedness in your content, people can really tell. And I would say that that's where I always say, be a lurker. And what I mean by that is my favorite refrain, go to the comments, right? Start building up your confidence and seeing what it is that other people are doing. Yeah. And I think people sometimes maybe put too much consequence on the post. So did you have any idea that the two posts that you referenced were going to blow up in the way that they did? No. Probably not. You're just like this. Hey, whatever happened to the jingle? Right. It was probably something like that. You're like, well, maybe clubhouse. And you, and so you start writing and again, so this is my advice to attorneys. Just don't overthink it at first to start in. I think the comments section is a good audition for the main stage, but you can't place so much consequence on, I have to write the perfect post or no one will care about it. No one will think of me as an expert. No one will think of me as a thought leader or you'll just, you'll never get anywhere. Jay, you've had some posts that mm. blow. I, I, is there any way to predict that your John Grisham post would have gone the way it did? No, I mean, by all accounts, that was uh, a post that shouldn't have because, well, A, it took, yeah, 10 minutes to write uh, at most. And then it was on uh, New Year's Day. So, you know, you would think if you read all of the, all of the, you know, when's the best time to post on LinkedIn articles online? It's like, you know, it, it probably is not whatever I did. It uh, wasn't in line with that. So yeah, there's no way I, I'm always wrong as to what I think will resonate. <laughs> Why I post a lot because you need more at bats to get, you know, to get a hit once in a while. So I think that's kind of how I think about it, but you're right. I, I, I think not putting all this pressure on, especially when you're, you know, your first post, when you put, 
probably no one's going to look at it. Maybe some people will take notice because they're like, oh, I just saw John or Sally on the platform for the first time. But generally speaking, it takes a little bit of time to gain traction. And, and so, yeah, definitely don't put pressure on yourself. And, and Callie, to your point about thinking about what do I post about? I always like to tell people, you know, if it's going to be professional advice or content, it's like, what do you wish you knew five years ago? What do you, what do you wish you knew um, five years ago that, that you know now? And, and share that with your former self. Mm. Because, you know, I call that mentorship advice. And that's really popular on the platform. I mean, for lawyers in particular, there's a lot of lawyers on who are who primarily write about, you know, content that is relevant to young lawyers. And and it's easy to write because they've that's their lived experience. So in any event, that's I think that's probably one area where people could think more about, you know, creating content around the, the things they wish they knew when they were, you know, 25 years old or whatever the case might be. Yeah. I don't want to walk past the John Grisham uh, story without hearing, like for those of us who didn't see it, tell us oh. what the post was. Oh, sure. So um, basically I, I'm i always uh, intrigued. John Grisham's background has really interested me. So he was a practicing lawyer before he, he wrote A Time to Kill. Um, and I, I wrote a book over the summer where I used John Grisham's experience as like a lead into a chapter about you need a, you need to have consistent effort and like set a goal and stick with it kind of thing. And with A Time to Kill, he, um, you know, he got inspired by the story uh, to write the story from a, a real life experience that he, he witnessed in a, in a case in, in Mississippi where he was practicing. He, that, that story stuck with him. It turned into the basis for A Time to Kill, um, but he was a busy practicing lawyer at the time. So he had to, he had to in order to write the book, um, which he wrote longhand and legal pads, he got up early, like 5 a.m., you know, showered, rushed into the office, wrote from like 5.30 to 7 and stuck with it. It took him like three years to finish it. The book got rejected by first 28 publishers, finally a small publisher, um, you know, put it out. It was a dud. Then he then he wrote The Firm and then, it, you know, the rest is history. But I, um, I use that as an example because in our community, uh, the legal industry, I, we're seeing, and especially on LinkedIn, more and more lawyers who are sort of starting side hustles, they're becoming coaches, they're starting podcasts, they're creating membership sites or courses, that kind of thing. So I, I started the post with um, the line, John Grisham was a practicing lawyer with a side hustle. And then I told his story. And then I took, you know, I drew some lessons from it. Like he stuck with it. He didn't try to do everything at once. He wrote one page a day, whatever. And then I just sort of made those observations. So it seemed to catch on. Um, it ended up getting uh, quite a bit of um, engagement. I think, I don't know, it was like 125,000 views or something like that, um, which for me, it was a lot, especially at the time. Uh, but yeah, that was the post. So it was nothing, it was nothing crazy. It was just like, here's someone, I, I like that formula though, where it's like story, lesson, takeaway. And I think that structure for LinkedIn posts tends to work well. And it's so interesting beyond people who are lawyers who want to be writing mm -hmm. as their side hustle. That's applicable right. to everyone. And I think mm -hmm. that that's also what probably really resonated about that. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, it's for it to be, um, for it to go sort of beyond, you know, you talk about like, I, I, I don't really talk about this, but I think about in terms of like, if I'm creating content that's, that's resonant, you, you're generating views beyond your follower account, right? Yeah. Um, and, and for, in order to do that, um, yeah, you, it probably is going to be posts that are more broadly applicable to the network as opposed to just the super niche stuff that I'm mostly doing, which to me is important because I'm primarily, our business is serving lawyers. So I don't really care if I'm getting 120,000 views on a post. 
I just need, you know, our core group of our core community within the legal industry to pay attention. And I think that's that's also a lesson people should learn, which is you don't need a massive audience. You just need the right composition of people in your network um, that relate to what you're trying to do. Would you agree with that? I would. And I would say so often, I think it's easy to look at major world problems and say, oh, what can I do? Right. The problem that needs to be fixed on the government level. It's like, I don't care if you're connected to one person on LinkedIn. That means you have a platform. Use it. Mm-hmm. And to your point, over time, it grows. I think that that's something that oftentimes we disempower ourselves in a way that we really shouldn't be because just by having that one connection, we have a platform and we have the opportunity to spotlight someone or something that really matters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, if, if, if anyone's a, a fan of uh, Seth Godin, I mean, that's a sort of his core principle of like minimum viable audience and, and just, you know, help try to change someone or change yeah. the culture more broadly. If that's, you know, it's a little more grandiose, but that starts with just changing someone with your, with your work you're doing. Um, Tom, do you want to ask Callie about um, the thing that we, you and I know nothing about, which is LinkedIn stories? Hopefully she knows something. Yes. Speaking of helping someone out. So help an old guy here. So I'm 50 (laughs) years old, right? And not very active on Instagram. And, you know, a a shiver went up my spine when Facebook adopted stories because I'm like, oh no, now Facebook is too hip for me. (laughs) All right. And so, and now LinkedIn has gotten into stories. It, It just, you know, we that work with a lot of attorneys. We don't see a ton of attorneys adopting stories. We haven't, you know, Jay just admitted, we're not huge into stories yet. Can you help uh, people in our business, say marketers or attorneys specifically, figure out stories to how we might be able to leverage them to, to further engage with our audiences? What are you reading right now, Tom? Well, um, let's see. I Most recent book I read was actually a draft of something Jay wrote. Which, <laughs> Which hardcover, is hardcover, paperback. Uh, Jay. Yeah. Well, it will be paperback. Yeah. Paperback. Yeah. Okay. Do you ever read books in hardcover, paperback, like a well, tangible thing? Like I'm, I'm a kind of a geek, right? So I'm, I'm rereading um, all of the uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle canon of Sherlock Holmes from beginning to end. In print. In print. Yeah. That's awesome, and I want to see a picture of that. On your LinkedIn stories by tomorrow. Perfect. I'm holding you to it. I mean, I think it's about taking what seems like the mundane in your life and sharing it. I recently switched to a setup that is like external keyboard, which I have not used since I was like 15. Okay. I didn't even know how to really use it again. But I bought a Flamingo mouse pad on Amazon for $10 and I posted a story of it. And I was just like, it's the little things like this that just make you happy, right? Every time I look down, it's a mouse pad, but it's something so, I don't know, just kind of fun and light. And I would say, I would bet that you would get a response other than me of a story that includes, you know, some photos of the books or, or, you know, the first one and just said like going back in time or like why you're rereading it, like what inspired you to go back. And so I would say, I think it's about thinking casually and also thinking about what is it that's the little thing that's like, it just brings you joy. It's a joy trigger. I think a lot about that. Interesting. Yeah. That's really good advice. So, all right. Um, well, Tom, you, even, 
though you even though you described yourself, I, I think you used the word hip, which seems which does date you as uh, as an old guy. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, I think you could do it. So let's see you put a story out. I will do that. Yes, you hold me to it. First, you have to connect me on LinkedIn, though. I right after this. Perfect. Nothing with you. Perfect. Yeah, um, Callie. Well, this is uh, this has been a real pleasure. Um, I guess I was going to ask you. We always ask our guests like where the best place to connect with you is, but. Clearly LinkedIn, uh, of course, yeah. but do you want to point people in any other direction or um, or just any final takeaways or, or things you wanted to mention? Yeah. So I write a weekly newsletter called Marketer Must Read, and I've launched it in August. And since then have featured CMOs and top marketers from Peloton, Walmart, Unilever, DoorDash, um, Postmates. <sighs> American Express, I mean, so many TikTok, so many different sizes of companies and companies at really different moments in their existence. Every week, it's the same 10 questions, and I interview one CMO. And out of that has come such meaningful conversations. And it's not just about marketing, right? So often it's about life. The city CMO, Carla Hassan, said, Two weeks ago, she told the story of how her personal and professional life changed when her daughter was diagnosed with a Wilms tumor at age four. And she talked about how working at PepsiCo, her bosses completely stood behind her and the different ways in which they showed her empathy and how they cha that changed how she sees the world as a leader. That's something that's not unique to a marketer. That's something that's really an amazing example for everyone because we all have those things that have happened to us or that are currently happening to us that inform who we are, how we work, how we live, how we love. And so I would say, I would love it if people subscribed. I always say that the comment section is just as meaningful as the interview itself because the conversation around it is so robust. So yes, please connect with the, me and make sure you mention that you found me through the podcast. And then I would say, I would love for you to subscribe and join the conversation. Awesome. Well, I'm going to definitely, I'm not subscribed to your newsletter. Uh, so I will definitely do that uh, immediately. So I appreciate that. Well, Callie, thank you again. It was, uh, like I said, it was a real pleasure and that was a lot of fun. And um, to our listeners, uh, thank you again for joining us and please come back next week for another episode. Thanks. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.